Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. This, of course, is our Wednesday episode where we niche down to a single topic. And today we are looking at something that is both fun, interesting, and you may have some personal experience in, namely psychedelics. Now, don't raise your hand if you've done psychedelics, Natasha or Danny, but I'm glad you're here with me to talk about this. It's a fascinating topic. You know, I, I feel like drugs only come up with uh, our friends because we've never done drugs. But uh, Danny, this was a core part of your thesis for 2020. And I'm curious why you thought psychedelics were going to be hot this year. And are we living up to that hype? Well, obviously, mental health has been, you know, hugely on people's radars. I mean, ironically, even prior to the pandemic. I think when you look at the scale of the mental health challenges in countries like the United States, in Europe, across Asia, traditional medication has just not proven effective, whether that's antidepressants, talk therapy, other types of therapy or counseling. There's been a huge, huge wave of wellness startups, Calm and Headspace, that are trying to solve something very foundational. And yet, none of it seems to be working. You know, and people aren't any happier today than they were two decades ago. And so when you're looking at the frontiers of science, of innovation, and asking what's going to change that pattern, psychedelics to me was one of these categories where the answer isn't there yet and has the most potential to be one of the most radically changing medical practices of the next decade. So Natasha, this came up in Danny's five startup theses that will transform the 2020s piece. When you read this, were you surprised to see psychedelics included in this kind of like forward look at the world of both medicine and mental health? I think the way that Common Headspace have opened up conversations about mental health and wellness with everyone in a way that's super digestible made a lot of sense. But when I saw something like psychedelics start to popularize more, it, it made a lot of sense because I think that we're at a spot where it's no longer, I mean, it is a stigma, but it's no longer something that we can really wait to address. Now we're even seeing companies that are really, their whole value is on psychedelics becoming mainstream, go to the public markets, which is something that I just cannot imagine have saying like five years ago, but here we are. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about a couple of things. One is some venture capital results in the world of startups that are approaching mental health via the, I don't know, chariot of psychedelics, if you will. And then a couple of startups and then a couple of IPOs. There's a lot of activity to go on here, Danny. According to CB Insights data, that's a relatively new phenomena. You know, there used to be the old expression, turn on, tune in, drop out. And now it's like SPAC on is like attached to this. I mean, obviously a huge amount of attention going on here. So CB Insights data shows that there has been, you know, up from 2018, 2019, $100 million of invested capital. So, you know, nominal in today's penny world of, of dollars going in. But then in 2020, we saw that the numbers skyrocketed to $346 million. And already by April of this year, we basically hit that that figure. So in the first third of the year, we're already hitting the 2020 numbers. So it's a huge amount of activity from VCs, large dollar figures. And, and part of it is, I think, a change in how VCs are approaching Vice. Totally. I mean, my first interaction with this thing called Vice Clauses happened when Catherine Dockery closed Vice Ventures in 2019. The Vice Clause has traditionally stopped venture capitalists from investing in non-traditional companies such as sex tech, cannabis, basically anything that is kind of controversial, it, it would stop investors from backing it, which, which felt outdated. And that was the genesis of Vice Ventures, which now has investments from Mark Andreessen, Bradley Tusk. When I saw that fund close years ago, that, that's kind of the first moment where I was like, okay, mainstream VC, if not directly, is at least backing a fund that is going to circumvent how, how it used to traditionally work. It's very interesting to see what counts as vice. Worker exploitation, not vice. 
cannabis, <laughs> vice. Technology that's going to steal everyone's, you know, face ID and turn it into a panopticon for the government, obviously a business. Psychedelics, <laughs> vice. But Danny, when you were in the VC world, they were still, it seemed to be the kind of the de facto thing. Are they slipping away now? Is this becoming a thing? Or are we only seeing a couple of VCs on the edges really pursue a more vice on strategy? I mean, one of the classic vice clauses is gambling. And so there's definitely, I mean, if the New York subway is any indication, um, digital apps for lottos is a huge category because there's nothing but lottery apps. But I, I think the biggest problem is, is is the coordination when you're fundraising to have an entire LP base, which is willing to not have a vice clause. I mean, most traditional LPs, pension funds, which are obviously run from the government, you know, universities, a lot of nonprofits just don't want to be associated with it. There is a group of LPs that are probably more willing to go into those spaces, you know, family offices being and high net worth, obviously being a huge category. So I, I think if you can coordinate all those sorts of folks and say, look, if we can get 20 or 30 LPs or 90 LPs around the table, all of whom don't want that and are willing to invest in those categories, it works. It's just hard. And you're obviously, in, you know, raising capital from a much, much smaller pool of, of, of folks. 100%. I mean, one way that I've seen some people frame their focus in psychedelic investments to be maybe more palpable to the average VC is as look at it as like a biotech focused fund on frontier technology, which I think is so funny to me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yes, it's biotech with a, like a very small asterisk. But I'll just add one last thing before we hop into startups. One research report estimates that the psychedelic drugs market is projected to grow at around 16% per year over the next eight years. It'll be around $6.85 billion in 2027. And so the money is there. Well, look, I, I mean, you know, I have no idea how to estimate this market, right? Like, uh, you know, this is, this is one of the challenges before we get to the startups. I think one of the challenges we have to address at the top of the show is like psychedelics have just started. Yes, there are IPO'd companies. They're sort of IPO'd in the biotech sense in that they IPO in like year two, not year 10. We can talk more about that later. There's some research, obviously, um, particularly more recently as it's sort of opened up in other countries and some laws have loosened up to allow medical researchers to do evaluations here. But the reality is, is we don't know the extent of this, how many people could use it, how many people in terms of comparative effectiveness will get better. And most importantly, whether VC is the right way to explore therapeutics to improve people's mental health, PTSD, and depression. To me, that's like a huge challenge because ideally this would have been funded by the government years ago, right? The NIH would have done academic studies and funded it for 20 years. The commercial and, and you know private sector has had to invest because the government has not. But that only pushes people to try to deliver this to more and more folks. I mean, what bothers me a little bit here is like you have this move fast and break things kind of culture about people's brains. And as we're starting to walk through this, I just want to be hyper aware of that. Like it's very, very early and we need a lot of what's called conservatism with a small C yeah. mm. on how we approach a, a totally new approach to medicine. Okay. Well, let, let's start with one of these companies. Uh, we'll kick off with New Life Health, which is spelled N-U-E, not N-E-W. So if you're Googling it, that's where you want to go. Raised $3.3 million for what we called a psychedelics meets tech mental wellness platform, which is a lot of verbiage for, I think, essentially offering at-home ketamine therapy. Danny, it's trying to work on things like, I think, depression. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it's working on a, a variety of mental health. And, you know, we, we call it a mental wellness. But, you know, it, it fills in, if you want a little bit more of a, a therapeutic compared to calm and headspace, which are just apt, you know, New Life Health is trying to deliver a little bit more of an actual medicinal product into that equation to try to help accelerate some of the performance going on. 
The interesting thing about this startup is that it's launching this summer, so we will soon know how it is doing. The other bit that I want to pay attention to is that they are planning to include a proprietary music streaming service as part of its offering, which just like immediately sent me down a rabbit hole of how they're going to connect music to mental health to psychedelics. I mean, it is a really beautiful combination of things. And I think that could really help. I, I like that a lot. Maybe music is to ketamine as Taco Bell is to cannabis, you know, kind of a match made in heaven. Uh, but uh, but I'll, I'll... <laughs> I'm looking forward to the tie in branding opportunities going on there. Imagine. I wouldn't know, but I love that. <laughs> everyone, everyone on the show is pretending they've never consumed drugs, which for Danny is true. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. put your hey, hand down. Hey, for the record, oh, let the record oh. show. <laughs> All right. Alex is the only one experimenting down. And I, look, that's what happens when you live in Rhode Island. What the hell else are you going to do? No, I, do you have any idea how, how much cleaner my life is now that I live in Rhode Island? All there is here to do is wear boat shoes and shout at people. All right, no. Listen, though. Like, the idea of combining music into mental health makes a lot of sense. All jokes aside. And, and, and here's how this works out just in my personal brain. Often, there will be days when I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm losing my mind. You know, today's been so busy. It's been so hectic. And then I look over at my Spotify, and it's like, you know, I'm listening to, like, you know, Death Thrash 2020 mix. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's possibly why. And then I put on some Chopin. And I feel much better. And I feel like, you know, music does have a huge impact on our moods. And if we're going to talk about this stuff, why not include music? Danny made a good point earlier on that things that we have today are insufficient for solving the mental health crisis. So let's try some more stuff. So that leads us to another company. So Ozmind, which is focused on clinical management for mental health, try to do basically clinical management for mental health professionals who have psychedelics as an option in the therapy. You know, tracking how much dosage, when people are getting stuff, the feedback, all that kind of clinical management practice that is normally in your, your EMR, they're adding it with a psychedelic uh, twist to it, if you will. So I think that's super interesting. They raised a couple million bucks. Jonathan Cheever covered them, I want to say, what, last year? You know, it's an, another example of a company where, you know, it's not just for consumers, it's not just mm -hmm. brands, it's not just the actual delivery. It's also just clinical management, like how do doctors track the usage of this? And I think long term, similar to Flatiron Health here in New York City, I can imagine that they become a base for a data set around a bunch of users to actually perhaps, you know, encourage additional academic research into this market. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of the early wave of cannabis startups, how they didn't want to get their hands tied up with being fully related to the legalization processes and all of that red tape. So they ended up building the back end data support that could kind of be piecemealed to work earlier than anyone really let them. And I find these companies really smart because they're just not waiting for everyone to be able to get it at home ketamine kits. They're kind of just waiting to track the data and playing the long game. And, and Ozmind is a YC graduate. It launched its service about a year ago now. And from the last time we talked to them, they had 30 practices using their software with over 3000 patients. I'm sure that number has hopefully grown meaningfully since then. Yeah. And if I recall my, my prep for today's show, they're actually a public benefit company. And that surprised me. I know YC has done some stuff with nonprofits and kind of other kind of different company structures, Danny, but I was surprised to see one of these. Uh, I forget all the nuances of what public benefit company means, but I, I love people approaching a topic near and dear to my heart, mental health from a very open-minded perspective with a focus on, on service to some degree. Well, and certainly, and like I said earlier, you know, commercialization here is a huge concern for a lot of folks in the community because in the 1960s, psychedelics were sort of introduced way too fast. They were sort of experimented with. There was a, a blowback that, you know, led them to be banned for decades. 
And I think there's a lot of concern about doing that again, but this time not from hippies, but from, you know, suited red tied capitalists who are trying Ugh. to, you know, who are, who are trying to drive, you know, adoption of these too fast. So I, I think, again, you're seeing, you know, by being a PBC, it allows them to slow down, to do the right thing. And it may be a little bit of a slower take. This is definitely going to be a market that is slower to grow um, as people figure out the, the nuances here. But that should lead us to a couple of different IPOs, including... Uh, Atari Life Sciences uh, has gone public, and uh, we were looking at their S1 filing before the show. Essentially, they went public June 18th, NASDAQ, $15 a share, now worth around 20 But much like Danny said, you know, this is a, a biotech company with a lot of stuff in the clinical process. Look, you're not going to do this. I'll just I'll walk you through it. In their S1, there is a great chart on page three that shows you how far along each of their different drugs are. Ketamine is the first one on the list and it's uh through kind of phase one towards phase two they only have one of the drug that's actually in phase two and then everything else is kind of preclinical or phase one so a very early stage company that's taking a multivariate approach to mental health what's cool about this this ipo and the reason why i wanted to have it in the show is it raised like a quarter billion in its ipo i mean that's a lot of money now sure it's biotech and there's a lot of experience in the market for investing in biotech but like you know it's, I thought it was going to be a little crappy $60 million tiny IPO, but this is a legitimate company. And I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do with that amount of money in this space, because like I keep saying, we all need it. Well, that, that leads us to another company in the space. So MindMed uh, went public a couple of weeks ago on NASDAQ. Um, it had gone public last year on Toronto's Neo Exchange, which I have looked up and it is not a bullshit stock exchange. It is a new stock exchange, a set of fintech companies kind of combined together to create a capital market. But they're focused on uh, improving mental health using MDMA, LSD, psilocybin. We have a third IPO, Compass Pathways, also listed on NASDAQ. <laughs> this is getting really exciting for NASDAQ. I mean, this is the, the drug market, uh, except cleaner and on Wall Street. Well, I mean, there's a cocaine market on Wall Street. There's, yeah, I was going to say, there's no drugs on Wall Street. But it's so. a happy... It, it, in case there are unhappy people on Wall Street, which I guess it happens every once in a while, they could potentially use it. So Campus Pathways uh, last September went public as the first psychedelic medicine company to float, raising $127 million. It is currently trading at about a $2 billion market cap. They are based in the United Kingdom, and they're focused on using psilocybin in human trials, particularly focused on treatment-resistant depression, which means that it is depression that has not been ameliorated by any other form of traditional medication, antidepressants, et cetera. I love that this has been attached to hard to solve cases. You know, I mean, I also think that when we consider the the current crop of antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications, we're kind of just using a, a hammer, you know, especially in the SSRI category. So I'm excited to see what they can do. This stuff could have a really big impact. Danny, um, looking ahead to the venture capital world, I, I'm curious about like, the pace of change, just to close this off here, you know, vice clauses aside, how much do you think appetite is changing amongst VCs that we all talk to for putting capital into companies that are approaching this problem with this general vector? Are we going to see these numbers keep going up or have we seen the change we're going to? I mean, I, I think the numbers are going to continue going up just from a competition effect. I mean, VCs are looking for interesting spaces, new places, startups that are not as competitive with others. So they have a little bit more chance to succeed. And psychedelics has a lot of unique properties. It's open-ended, it's ambitious, there's huge questions around regulations. And so it's high risk, but high reward. You know, the valuations here, I think, are quite reasonable in comparison to what I would imagine in the SaaS world. So it's one of those things where it's like, do you want to make a bet in this space? I don't know if I'd bet in a whole fund, but for a couple of uh, deals over the next 10 years and potentially hit major category, that's a real opportunity for, I think, some VCs. I see arguments like Catherine's, like anyone who's been backing or thinking about psychedelics getting easier as yeah. states also start to become more comfortable. We know that Oregon 
uh, became the first state to legalize psychedelic mushrooms. Texas legislature approved a bill to study psychedelics to treat PTSD. Um, I feel like those headlines are going to keep coming. And even though we've been giving a lot of crap to <laughs> legislation for not being the best with this kind of stuff, it's signaling something to people can, that can maybe give money faster. Yeah, and I, just to, to wrap us up today, you know, the reason why I think there's general bullishness amongst the three of us about these sorts of ideas is that there's just an enormous demand for better mental health. I mean, like, Calm and Headspace certainly are not a panacea to anyone's issues, but meditation is good. And they're both enormous companies now that have raised tons of money and are doing nine-figure revenues and could go public. I mean, that's the scale of just consumer demand, even sans insurance policies. So there could be a very deep market here, or as the VCs say, quite a lot of TAM. Uh, and with that, we're going to wrap up. Danny and Natasha, I'll see you guys on Thursday. Everyone else, talk to you then. Bye. Bye.